Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back, and we're going to go right to the phones. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors, because Nate is off somewhere playing hooky. Who knows what he's doing? But we are very pleased to have Dustin Sigler. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great, and sometimes it's a break not to have Nate on. He wears me out. No, I'm just kidding. We love Nate. We we love we love Nate. Nate's great. Nate's been Nate's been a contributor for oh, gosh, he's been doing a regular segment every Saturday for I don't know how long, and he needs a break too. But I didn't get a chance to talk to you ahead of time. But from the notes, you you were probably listening about what I said about the the weather and the slow changes, and we're going to be heading into some walleye fishing here on the front range of Colorado that's just going to continue to get better, at least for numbers, uh, as we go on through. And I know you're going to talk about that. But even before that, I know you used to spend a lot of time on Lake McConaughey, Big Mac. What a tremendous walleye fishery. And I'm hearing that we might be headed into a great period out there right now. Oh, absolutely. It's actually um, it's been a great period for the last probably 20 years. A solid average when you're talking uh, snow, um, that, you know, the bite out there has uh, has been solid for probably the last two weeks or so, and um, it's still good right now that uh, they're in that peak spawn period at McConaughey, and, um, you know, it's no, really no um, uh, surprise, honestly. A lot of anglers know about it. It's no secret, I guess I should have said, and, um, and, and the ability to target those fish, uh, you know, join the parade of boats and uh, shore anglers, and, and you really have a uh, excellent opportunity at uh, very good quality fish. Yeah, McConaughey has tremendous biomass, not only numbers of fish, but it has some great size fish. There's some big fish in that lake, too. This time of the year, do you see more of those big fish, or is it just kind of all over the board? Oh, it's all over the board. Um, You know, they did fish surveys out there uh, in Nebraska, and it's uh, holding, you know, top three in the state. Uh, for size range of, you know, the average being that 23 to 25-inch uh, fish, which is just incredible. And owl-wise populations, of course, feeding those fish uh, uh, bellies full, uh, to say the least. And so when you're out there, you know, your males, of course, are, are most aggressive, and you're going to catch just tons and tons of those. Um, the most interesting thing that I'd like to note is just when you are standing on the rocks, if you don't have a boat and you're not in that uh, parade of boats, I mean, just watching the fish below you at your feet. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of walleye uh, spawning right there. And, and oftentimes I'll set my rod down and just spotlight and, and watch these fish. I mean, it's a, a beautiful sight to see. It honestly is. It's incredible. It's a, it's a lake that's what it's probably a three, four hour drive here from here. And it's well worth um, making the trip out there. In fact, the folks from McConaughey every so often join the show as a regular contributor, and I think in a couple of weeks they're going to come on and do some regular things with us, so we'll keep people people updated. But we just want to let you know, folks, if you're planning a trip and you don't want to drive too far, you know, it's one of the premier walleye lakes in the United States, certainly worth going out there. If you were headed out there in the next week or two, what technique would you use? Um, you know, we're going to see, usually beginning of May, we start to see these fish um, kind of move uh, off the dam and kind of enter that post-spawn period. 
Uh, as of right now, though, if, if I'm heading out there, I'm, I'm going on the dam. I'm going to spend my time in the evening um, casting from short, you know, whether it's jerk baits or curly tail grubs or something like that, or uh, trolling those. Um, Statter apps seem to be great. Uh, your original husky jerks, even flicker shads, believe it or not, uh, catch fish right there on the dam when you're trolling them along. Um, just note that, you know, there is a direction and a flow of traffic on that dam. So, when you're trolling down it, you know, you're going from the south end to the north end. Once you make your pass, you have to pull out of line, basically, and then run your boat back and kind of start over. Uh, that's kind of the system they have. But I'd like to mention, too, I mean, in May out there, they see um, their best numbers for master angler walleye being caught. And that's that post-spawn period when a lot of these fish start making a mass migration um, and, and just kind of fan out on the north shorelines. But they're typically anywhere from 30 to 40 feet deep and making that migration run down that north shoreline. And a mass majority of master anglers, and actually most of them, uh, it's just the fact that they get caught in May. And that's probably one of your best times at a master angler walleye uh, there at Lake McConaughey. All right. Well, let's move on to what's going on right here. I know you guys at Tightline, you do a lot of walleye guide trips up and down the front range. I don't know if you heard me talking earlier, but I know everybody hears cold front and cold weather and they're walleye fishing in the spring and they, their, their jaw tightens up and they panic. But when the weather is, even if it's stable at 45 degrees for a long period of time and then gradually warming, it doesn't have the same effect as when you just get that crash in temperature. What are you guys seeing out there and what do you see over the next few weeks? Yeah, our fish right now, um, I'd say 80% of them, or more really are in a post-spawn stage. We still have, uh, you know, some males that are in shallow, of course. They're going to hang out there a couple weeks uh, following that. But uh, in the next two weeks, really one week, based on the 10-day forecast, we're going to see a lot of fish start to really get into a, uh, you know, early summer pattern or early summer transition where they'll migrate and um, they start just, just filing into the shallows, really, you really have to look at uh, kind of why they do that. You know, coming off of a spawn, the, the females have lost 25% of their biomass and um, males at 10%. So they go to the basin for that post-spawn. They want an easy meal with the midges and the, and the uh, blood worm hatch that's going on. And once they, you know, regain about half of that biomass, then they will actually, um, or body mass, they will actually then go towards a forage option. You know, a lot of the forage in the lake from uh, last year is almost a year old, so it's bigger, a little harder to catch, and uh, for a walleye anyways, when they're extremely tired after after doing the hardest thing they have to do all year. And and so um, you start to see them piling in shallow, and for good reason. We have uh, perch, of course, that kind of spawn in that same time frame as a walleye, so they're kind of out of the equation, but you start to see crappie, and I think you and Austin mentioned it just uh, previously that, uh, crappie in that, uh, I'd say, 50 to uh, mid-50 range uh, water temp, they start moving into the shallows to uh, pre-spawn and spawn. And um, while I know that, um, right after them, you have, uh, you know, your gizzard chad and your bluegills. All these fish have yet to spawn. So you really have a buffet of uh, forage options for these walleye to feed on. And, and when you have that happen, um, it's kind of a no-brainer for a walleye to spend a lot of their time shallow um, and near the emerging weed beds that uh, start showing up. 
Well, you know, one of the things you mentioned was the fish migrate to other feeding areas. On Lake McConaughey, that might be two or three miles. On Lake Oahe up in the Dakotas, that might be 30 miles. But on mm-hmm. lakes, like Chatfield and, lakes like Chatfield and Cherry Creek, that migration might just be a few blocks away. It's more of a structure change than it is a distance move, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's just what we got. I always joke that we're fishing ponds here in Colorado and uh, Cherry Creek being, you know, when comparing it to McConaughey is just one of the bays out there. And, and so um, I call it a migration because, you know, these fish just change locations based on the forage uh, that's going to be readily available for them and easy meals. Uh, this time of year, I spend a ton of time in shallow weed bays. I'm using my side imaging, uh, really finding those fish spots, basically, and uh, and then just picking them apart with really the same techniques uh, that I use in pre-spawn, spawn, and post-spawn, all the jerk baits and uh, paddle tails and, and such that I'm throwing, I'm using these same things just in a whole different location. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's a great point. You know, while I, in McConaughey, they move, uh, you know, six to eight miles down the north shoreline and, and then chase the owlwife that starts spawning um, kind of early June period and, and move in shallow on them. So it's just kind of the migration that you see across the board uh, when it comes to walleye and, and this uh, post-spawn or early summer bite. Oh, yeah. Now, how long do you think we'll see this? You said there, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much they eat. Like you mentioned, the blood worms and the the insects that are coming off the mud flats. That used to be a a huge deal, like in lakes in Minnesota, like uh, Mille Lacs, where you would sit with slip bobbers off those those mud flats and maybe a a leech to to kind of imitate it. But you can't cover much water doing that. So you're really waiting for the fish to come to you. How long once they start moving in shallow? How long before you'll start seeing you'll change techniques or you'll maybe start seeing them shift to the suspended fish? And when do you start looking to change your tactics? Yeah, so your water temperature um, kind of dictates a lot of that. And, of course, the spawning cycle of, of their forage options dictate that as well. I, I typically um, will break apart the, the shallow water and, and really fish it out, take the time necessary to um, pick apart those areas and really it's uh, what I see happening is um, typically uh, follow the spawning cycle of the gizzard shad before they actually move out and start chasing uh, bait fish so uh, once that gizzard shad decides to spawn and uh, a couple weeks following that once those yearlings are out and you know balled up that's when fish will typically pull off of uh, the shallow structure and uh, go on to main lake structure or out into that main lake as opposed to uh, running shallow weed lines. There's always going to be shallow walleye uh, throughout the season, and then there's going to be your, your deeper walleye that uh, just hang in and feed on shad. So you really got to watch, I'd say, water temperatures in that uh, 60 to 65 degree range will kind of, you know, cue you into live bait presentations, whether it's bottom bouncers, lindy rigs, slip bobbers, stuff like that with leeches and, and crawlers, of course. But um, once you uh, get just past that point and you start seeing bait on your uh, graphs, that's a great time to uh, kind of pull up and, and you can really fish all the structure. And, uh, you know, main lake structure here in Colorado isn't a ton because uh, we don't have massive bodies of water, but uh, in most areas, you can go find those uh, submerged ridges, uh, humps, 
and uh, and saddles, inside turns, things that are just going to kind of funnel bait through and give an easy ambush point. On All right, one last question before we let you go. It's supposed to be pretty nice tomorrow. If I was it probably one of the nicest days we're going to have all week till the end of the week, if you were going to go walleye fishing on the Colorado Front Range tomorrow, where would you go? One place. You know, I would honestly, it's a one-two punch for me. Cherry Creek Reservoir is just fishing great. When you can pull lead core out there, um, I would be there. Now, with that being said, they're running a tournament out there uh, both today and tomorrow. So you're going to have uh, an excess amount of boats. So you might not want to hit Cherry Creek, but... Chatfield, it has an awesome bite. So if you're fishing kind of that swim beach area down to, you know, Massey Draw and, and back south, you're going to be able to pull those med, mud flats just as well as how you would do it at Cherry Creek with whether lead core or flatline trolling. And uh, don't hesitate to go out in the evening. If you still feel like you, you have, a, you know, the warm uh, clothes to wear to get out there, I would, I would fish those uh, mud flats in the evening time. Uh, kind of a great opportunity there and pull uh, planer boards with uh, jerk baits and such behind them. And, and you have a great opportunity at landing, you know, 15 to 30 fish in an evening. Um, we've been doing it and uh, bites been really good across the, across the state really right now. All right, my friend, we're out of time, but if people want more information or book a trip, it's tight line outdoors on Facebook or tight Uh Dustin, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Terry, I appreciate it. sir. You bet. We'll have you on again soon. Dustin Ziegler from from uh, Tightline Outdoors, and of course they're a regular contributor. We're gonna take a time out. We come back. New uh, new episode or new feature. We're gonna start doing some. Uh, we're gonna work these in on a reg- semi regular basis. Dog training. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. We're going to have a new segment starting today that we hope we're going to kind of sprinkle in at different times during the next few weeks, because I think it's really important, and that's dog training. And joining us from Hideaway Kennels and also out of Rocky Mountain Roosters is Ben Garcia. Good morning, Ben. Morning, Terry. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing great. And you and I got the chance to talk a couple times prior to the segment. And I really love the things you had to say. And you pointed out some things to me that I hadn't thought about. And and really, I thought were pretty basic, but things that never crossed my mind. But, you know, we got a lot of, well, first of all, outdoor people love dogs. Now, a lot of them do hunting dogs, which you do a lot of hunting dog training. But a lot of them just have a dog and they take it outdoors with them. Either way, you need proper training and obedience to make it a, a good relationship. But one of the things you mentioned to me is you got to have the teach the dog obedience, socialize with it, and love it, because you're not just buying this dog to lock it up in a kennel. They really become part of the family too, don't they? They really do. They really do, especially this year with everybody being home more than ever. They they truly become family members in a way we've never seen. So, which has been great. Now. Yeah. Over the next few weeks when we have you on, I want to talk about some specific times and techniques for training dogs in different situations. But let's just start out today saying that I I want to get a dog now. Maybe it's a hunting dog. Maybe it's just my companion. But how do I start? Yeah, you know, I mean, like we always tell people, the main thing is first put a plan together of what you want to hunt or what your activities are going to be. 
you know, that's the bigger thing because, you know, here in Colorado in the West, we all hunt, we all hike, we all camp, we fish. And those are things to identify first of which breed do I want that's going to fit our lifestyle and then what we do on a daily basis or weekend basis when we're all out playing, you know. So you want to research the different breeds and find out maybe what fits into your lifestyle size-wise and uh, aptitude-wise because they are different. You want to do some research. You told me another thing right now is make sure you have access to a vet. That's not the easiest thing right now, you said. It's not. I mean, this year we've seen more people purchasing dogs and even to get into a vet appointment at some vets, you know, you're out three or four weeks. So you really want to plan together from when you decide the breed you want, decide the breeder you want and, and finding a vet that fits what you want, you know, and um, particularly if you can find a vet that hunts or that is active outside, that's even a better deal for you. Cause let's face it, you may have an injury that's, that's not related just hiking down a hill. If you're out hunting or if you're out, you know, swimming a dog, there may be injuries that are re- relevant to hunting that a vet that hunts is really going to help you through that. If they've seen it before. So. Now I go out and I've, get all this done, I get my puppy, and you and I agree on one thing, and that's if you're going to hunt, stay ready to hunt. Don't just get ready to hunt, and that's true of the dog. If you have an older dog that's trained, you should be doing things with it year-round, and we'll cover more of that as we get into this further into the next weeks. But one of the things you told me is you don't really start seeing the dogs for you to train until after the first six weeks. Is that right? Yeah, well, we really like to get them in when, when they're five months old is when we like to get them in for training. And, and we like that time before then to be with the owner, you know, doing obedience with the dog, spending time with it, socializing it, getting to know it, you know, getting to bond with the family, working on your crate training, working on all those fundamental values that a dog needs to, to be an active family member for sure. Now, is there anything like online or anything that can help me with those first, say, weeks or months before I come to a trainer and when am I going to know the dog is ready to go? What should I, is there resources online? There are, there's a, there's a, right now we're all really lucky. There's a lot of really good trainers, a lot of really good research um, going on of when to work dogs, what to work on at what age, Um, irrelevant if you're hunting or if you're, if you're going to hunt, you know, there's some really good resources. And and if somebody wanted to ever reach out to us, they're more than welcome to, and we can provide them that. But a really good time on as far as clicker training, um, obedience training, treat training. There's a lot of good research going into that right now of what to do with dogs to, to get their brain activity working and, um, and stimulate that brain, just like a child learning to read. You know, you want to start off with something super simple, like, you know, you know, you want to start off with a word, you know, then go to a letter and then go to a sentence and then a paragraph and a page. There's a lot of really good online training models right now for following that for little guys and little pups to, to, to do well as they succeed. So Now, if you want to reach out to Ben and Hideaway Kennels, uh, on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, I do have a link to his website. You just have to scroll down, and we'll get Ben's contact information before we let him go. So I have this yeah. dog. I'm working at home. Um, I'm going to bring him to you. Before we get to what I need to be doing and some mistakes, what are you? I'm bringing him to you. What are my? What should my expectations be? Are you going to keep the dog for a while? And what? What kind of training am I coming to you for? Yeah, so we we have a six week puppy program that's really fun. It's it's a great time for us with the dogs and and a great time for the dogs. And um, what we're looking for is basically the, the four or five basic commands the dog knows 
coming in, you know, which if it's a lab or retriever breed, maybe sit, stay. If it's a pointing breed, it may be whoa, some basic leash work and, um, you know, for heel and here and, and some, some obedience work that's good for them to know to move with somebody. But their primary their time with us is um, working on some basic obedience and a lot of birds. And, and that's just where I get so excited with dogs and, and working with them is when we get them on those birds and you get to see that light in their eye and uh, bringing out those genetics they have in them to want to be on birds. It's just, it's just, it's pure, pure addictive. <laughs> in my, in my case, that's just really what I enjoy watching dogs at that age do because you're just seeing everything they have in them. And then that creates a lifetime of memories for those owners when they're out the next year banging birds over their dogs and, and chasing birds. It's, it's just a blast for all of us to see. Now, now later on, when we bring you back, we're going to get into some more yeah. details, different kinds of training and how you maintain the dog, maybe food and things like that. But you were talking right. about mistakes to me uh, with puppies. Uh, you said one of the biggest mistakes is putting puppies with older dogs. Right. Yeah, we have seen that before where everybody thinks, you know, this is great. I've got my buddy's got an old hunting dog. I've got a little puppy. And uh, let's get them together because they're going to spend their life together. And, and that's really a, not a good thing. You know, we've had people do it where it's in a house and a puppy gets bit because the older dog's irritated and has warmed them and the puppy keeps coming after him because the, the last adult dog that puppy's seen has been its mom. So it, it's thinking, hey, everybody's got food for me. Everything's going to nurture me. And then it, an older dog does not want to be around that at all, regardless if it's a male or female. So you're really putting both dogs in an unfair situation. So we always suggest, you know, if you have a little puppy and you have an older dog and you want to introduce them, do it in your backyard, do it in a big field, keep them both leashed, give them space, and um, let them get to know each other saying hi, but control the situation so you don't have an accident or a dog biting another dog. Or, or even we've had other bigger dogs run in and hit a puppy and cause an injury then. And really, if you think about it, Terry, you know, you're imprinting on that dog that puppy, when it's around bigger dogs, somebody's going to hit them or roll them and hurt them, and you've created fear and something, something that should be positive, which are both dogs being out, learning to be friends together, and, because they become hunting buddies just like me and you would if we are going out hunting every weekend. So you really want to try to make it positive and, and not cause something negative to happen in there. So. You know, a couple other things you shared with me, and there were, these were the ones that kind of surprised me, and one was yeah. um, some things you want to stay away from. One was don't teach a pointer to sit. Right. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of thought in that and a lot of study um, into it. And the idea is when when you're working dogs on a lead, you know, you, you pull up and you're cueing that muscle. It, let's say like the whoa command, you know, you're pulling on up on the collar and it's putting pressure on the dog's side of the neck to say, whoa. And you're, you're teaching the muscle memory of pressure on your neck teaches them to whoa. And if you teach sit to a pointer and, and, and you're working that and every time you pull up on the lead and they sit, well, when they go on point later in life and they go to take a step and you go to stop them with a the lead, they're just going to cue off of what you've already taught them is to sit. So, you know, some, some people with pointers, and I, you know, Terry, me and you did talk about this, you know, there are guys with pointers and owners with pointers that, that duck hunt, pheasant hunt, you know, and they, they want them to learn both. You just want to make sure you're teaching both commands if you have a pointing breed. So if you do teach sit, make sure you're teaching whoa. You know, make sure the dog knows knows those behaviors. But I always think, you know, if, you, if you're not a duck hunter and you're a pheasant hunter or a quail hunter, um, just teach whoa. I mean, it's going to be the majority of the command you teach that dog later in life anyways, and, and it's going to be relevant to everything. And you're just going to avoid some problems later in life. And, and there's always the, the person who's trained their dog that can say, well, I taught my dog to sit and never did that. And that's great. But the, 
the ones that learn it and all they want to do is sit on point, it's really hard to work through on a young dog because they're, they're thinking they're making you happy, you know, where they smell the bird and they sit because they think, hey, this is, I've sat down and somebody's giving me a treat. I found the, the bird for my owner. Now I'm sitting down. Where's my treat? So it can come back to haunt. You just want to make sure you're, you're talking to your trainer on, on what the goal is for the dog, you know, down the road. So then you make sure you're not conflicting commands later. One of the things, another, yeah. yeah, another thing you told me was teaching yeah. too many commands is a common mistake. Right. It is. It is. You know, they, they, you know, when you, you know, you talk about dog training, typically most trainers want your dogs to have four or five commands. And, you know, I was sharing with you, Terry, one time I had an owner out and, we're working their dog, and I, I just asked him, I said, how many commands do you think you have for this dog? And he said, I think I have six. You know, and, and I had counted during when he was showing me his dog, and he had over 42 commands for his puppy. You know, and this this is a four-month-old dog that can't comprehend any of those commands, and, and you're doing more damage. So just pick four, you know, that are relevant to what you're going to be doing to your dog, and it really will help all of you and your family. And that's a tip we give people, too. Like, once you pick your four or five commands, print them out and put them on the fridge. So everybody in your house is using the same command. You know, if, um, if you're making the dog woe before he goes outside to go to the bathroom, make sure everybody's saying woe in a way that works for the dog to follow that command. If it's sit before they go outside or sit before they get a treat, you, you want everybody on the same page and um, speaking the same language to that dog. Cause they'll, they'll memorize rhythmic patterns in the, in the voice command. So, you know, so sit has a pattern of speech that they're recognizing. So that's why you want to make sure everybody's saying it the same way, not like sit, sit. You know, everybody's saying sit. And so that's generally where you really help your dog succeed later in life. You know, one, we're going to run out of time here, but one thing you told me yeah. when we were talking that I never thought about was don't play tug of war with a bird dog. That's, you know, it's so, right. it makes such sense, but I never thought of it. Right. It's a bad mistake we do. You want dogs, you know, we, we want someone to interact with them and play tug of war. And they just learn through a pattern of behavior of, hey, every time, you know, my owner gets in their hand, we play tug of war. And then you shoot that big rooster. Your opening day, you're out there with your, your, your dog you've done all this work on, and you shoot a big rooster, and you ask him to give it back to you, and he tears the head off and is playing tug of war with you, and, and you caused it. You know, that's something you really don't want. You know, you want them, their job is to find the game for you, to retrieve it and bring it back, and you pet them up and love them and tell them they're a good dog not to have this back and forth fight of who's dominant over who and whose game it is. And that really goes back to that tug of war game, Terry, that you really don't want to play with them when they're puppies. So we are out of time, Ben, but just tremendous information. I can't wait to get you back on and we're going to do this on some kind of a semi-regular basis. I have to look out at the schedule because I know we have the NFL draft coming up too, but we definitely want to get you back on in the meantime, if people want to talk to you, how do they get a hold of you? The, the best way is to email us through the web page, which is hideawaykennels.com. Um, as, as you can imagine, most of our time spent out in the field not maintaining a phone. So it's easier for us to get back between breaks of loading up dogs on email. So it really works good for us to email us through the web page, and, and we're happy to chat with you. Or if you haven't needed some advice, we're happy to give folks that advice also. All right, Ben, great segment. Looking forward to having you back on again. You and I will talk in the next week or two and get some things scheduled. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. You you bet. Ben Garcia, Hideaway Kennel. He's going to be a great contributor, folks. He's he's just got – he's a wealth of information. He loves the dogs. Um, His website, Hideaway Kennels, there is a link on my Facebook page, uh, the uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You just got to scroll down a couple. It's right there. You can just click on it. Uh, and, you know, we're going to 
it fits so well in the show because outdoor people love dogs. We, we got Jr. impatiently waiting on the phone, so we got to get to him. But, you know, when we get Jr. on, he's going to also talk about bringing your dogs out to Colorado Clays, getting him used to the shot noise. we got so much more to talk about here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the Front Range for all your outdoor needs. Let's go right to the phones, and I hope patiently waiting is uh, Jr. from Colorado Clays. Good morning, Jr. Good morning, Terry. I, I know we got to you a little late, but we're going to give you plenty of time, but I thought some of the stuff Ben was saying was so good. Thank oh, you for introducing us. Yeah, if you've ever hunted over Ben's dogs, had a dog trained by Ben, uh, uh, there, there's nothing like it. And uh, I think you can probably tell by listening to him, he definitely knows his stuff. Oh, he would get you. You introduced us to him, so thank you so much for that. And I want to say again, you have a dog-friendly facility. A lot of people bring dogs out just to get him used to the sound of gunshots, don't they? Absolutely, Terry. And like I say, me not being the high-end trainer like Ben is, but I do listen to him, and he says it is very important with a pup to start them out, um, uh, getting them accustomed to gunshots at a distance. And one thing, Colorado Clays being a dog-friendly facility, we have that availability to get that pup out, throw him on a leash, walk him around, associate uh, those noises with fun and work them in slowly versus just, you know, dropping the bomb on them the first time out. So definitely see a lot of pups and certainly help a lot of people out here with their dog training. Yeah, I want to switch gears on you now. You and I have talked, we talk about all the different uh, resources you have at Colorado Clays, but we have so many new people getting outdoors. Um, They're either going back to the outdoors or they're getting into it for the first time. And that includes a lot of new shooters uh, that are getting out there and shotgunning, especially, Uh, and they're going to start hunting or maybe they're going to recreational shoot. But I I talk to some of these people and they say, well, I'm going to go skeet shooting and get, learn to shoot my shotgun, or I'm going to go trap shooting, or we're going to throw some clays and they think that's sporting clays. Uh, there's some confusion there, and, you know, all these disciplines have a great place, and they really fit in to what you do, but I thought maybe you could kind of go through the differences and tell people. Well, certainly, Terry, and I think it's very important that people kind of know the difference. Now, uh, due to the extreme popularity of trap and the, the benefit of trap as a kind of introductory um, game, I think I'm going to go ahead and do a general description, Terry, without getting real technical, but in terms that folks who have not done it um, can kind of understand. So here at Colorado Clays, our trap field uh, or fields are an area maybe several vehicle lengths wide and, you know, maybe five or six vehicle lengths deep. At the front of this field is a trap house. It's probably an eight-foot by ten-foot uh, by three-foot high house coming up out of the ground. Inside this house is a thrower that launches targets from ground level at a predetermined speed and height that lands the clay target 50 yards downrange. This thrower oscillates left to right, creating random angles of target presentation depending on which shooting position you're in uh, behind the trap house. Now, behind this house is a series of sidewalks that create the layout of the field for your shooting positions. So uh, 16 yards back, 48 feet back, if you will, behind the launch point of the target, uh, also known as your singles yardage, 
are five shooting positions, one dead center behind the trap house, two to the left, and two to the right. These positions are approximately 9 to 10 feet apart. And then stretching back in the field from each shooting position is a sidewalk with yardages ranging from 17 to 27 yards from the thrower, also known as your handicap yardages. Now, the shooting position you're in and the position of the thrower at the time you call for a target determine the angle of the target and how it flies relative to you. A uh, proper round of trap is 25 targets, and that would be five targets shot from each of the five shooting positions. Uh, Colorado Clays has eight trap fields, Terry, uh, but the great thing about Colorado Clays is the fact that not all of our fields throw just ATA-registered um, targets. Uh, we have one field known as our training trap, and this field throws a nice straightaway target uh, you can shoot from very close out to the 27-yard range if you choose. Uh, this is great for beginners, for training, uh, testing guns, and so on. And, Terry, of course, we can't forget those wobble traps, um, which are basically the same as a standard field, but the target thrower moves not only left to right, but also up and down, giving you a multitude of possible angles and elevations to practice. Uh, this is... Of course, incredibly fun game in itself, uh, great practice, and as we've talked about in the past, just that perfect preparation for upland game. So the Colorado Clays trap field selection covers pretty much anything you could want, depending on your level, and uh, certainly one of our most popular draws. And what does it cost to come out and shoot some trap? Well, Terry, trap, skeet, all of that is at a simple rate a round is only $7.50, so you can shoot that entire round, all 25 targets, for just seven fifty. I keep talking to you about raising that price because I might have to raise your advertising rate, so you have to charge more. <laughs> I want it no, back I'll, fishing. I'll, <laughs> yeah. all, all kidding aside, now what's the difference when you move to skeet? Well, in Colorado Clays has two skeet fields, Terry. Um, and skeet... Uh, is a different game. Uh, so it, this field would be maybe several vehicles deep and maybe six or seven vehicles wide for reference. We have a high house on the left side and a low house on the right side. The high house meaning there's actually the machine up above ground about 10 feet high, and then the low house has a machine about three feet off the ground. Uh, Skeet Field has eight shooting positions that are on a large half circle starting at the high house and looping around to the low house. Uh, skeet is a little bit more advanced game. Uh, it does end up throwing very fast crossing targets. Um, now, a round of skeet is also 25 targets. Uh, those targets are shot in singles, meaning one at a time, or pairs, um, meaning uh, two at a time, depending on what uh, shooting post you're at. So you call for one at a time or you shoot them as pairs. Uh, our field, of course, our regulation NSA, NSSA fields and throw those. Uh, skeet is a fantastic game. It can be humbling, uh, but it's a very popular draw also here at Colorado Clays and uh, a good time for anybody uh, regardless of what you do for your shooting uh, skill level. Now, a lot of people think clays. They think all these are sporting clays. Tell us what sporting clays are. Okay, and that's a good point, Terry. So uh, 
the reality is trap, skeet, sporting clays, wobble trap, they're all games played with a shotgun and clay targets. Now, sporting clays is often associated or referred to as golf with a shotgun. So uh, sporting clays is done on a course. And rather than holes like in golf, you have shooting stations. Uh, the Colorado Clays course is a beautiful 15-station course uh, down in the Cottonwood Creek bottom. At each station, there will be two machines in the field somewhere, and every station has different target presentations. And what I mean is some may have a high target, a low target. We throw fast targets, slow targets, left to right, right to left, coming in, going out, rabbits bouncing on the ground, different sizes. You name it, you will see that in sporting clays. Uh, sporting clays targets are all shot in pair presentations, either as true pairs, meaning both machines launch at the same time, or report pairs, meaning uh, first target launches, and then at the report of the gun, the second target launches. So uh, around the sporting clays is 100 targets. Uh, how many targets you shoot at each station depends on, of course, how many stations you have. Colorado clays having 15 stations means each person shoots either three or four pairs, depending on the station they're at, to end up at the 100 targets as a proper round at the end of the course. Um, one thing I will say that's very neat about Colorado Clays, on our course you can shoot as many or few targets as you want. You don't have to do proper or complete rounds. Um, it's one of our most popular draws, Terry. It's great fun, great practice for anything, whether you're recreational, competitive, or a hunter. Um, and the thing with Colorado Clays, it's just such a fantastic format for large group events, whether it's corporate fundraising and so on. And Colorado Clays really has developed and innovated many systems that make our sporting clays course unique compared to most others. So I highly recommend uh, coming out by yourself with your friends, family, uh, business associates, what have you, shoot around a sporting clays at Colorado Clays, and you will certainly be hooked. Now, before we move on, we're going to run out of time here in just about a minute or two, but I do want to circle back and mention, you've told me once that you have so many trap fields that if you bring a group out, you can have a trap field all to yourself for your group? Absolutely, Terry, and I, uh, we also have a little small meeting building right behind one of our trap fields, so we very frequently gr bring groups of people out. Uh, use the building for either a meeting, for a birthday party, for a lunch, for uh, just a, a business meeting area, and then have a trap field right in front of them and take turns, you know, five or ten people at a time going out and shooting and just make a very fun day out of uh, the Colorado Clays trap range. So certainly something I highly recommend people call. Um, if you like the idea of that small meeting area, reserve that. Um, just the most fun you can have with a shotgun and a day off. Now, um, if you're new and you want to get into shooting, come out and talk to JR and the people there. Certainly stop by the patterning. That's a great place to start. We don't have time to get into it too much today, but it'll show you where your gun shoots, and you guys will really work. You're one of the few people that can help them there. But, JR, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Give us a call, Terry, 303 659 7117 or go to the website coloradoclays.com take the virtual tour send us an email let us know what you want and we'll get you taken care of all right my friend great great segment as always thank you for all that information okay thank you terry have a great day all right
Yep, we'll talk to you again soon. That's J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Just incredibly good people. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on this segment with a few good tips for you right here on 104.3 The Fan. Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and coming up after us, I believe, is going to be Dan Jacobs. I don't know if he's in studio yet. We'll find out in a minute. I'm right here, sir. You, you, you are. Well, you'll have to just wait just a second now, because I didn't. We are. We talked about the weather changes coming up, and fishing is going to be good because these weather changes are slowly changing. So you need to get out and do it. Take advantage of it. Go back and listen to some of the. Um, the podcast, I'll put some of them up on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. In addition, now that we know Mr. Jacobs is there, did you know, Dan, that um, you were gone the last couple of weeks and we had a trivia contest? Oh, no. I missed it. And you missed. And so I was going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. I don't know if Kyle can key it up or not, but Kyle... There's a song that we played last week, and Dan's always arguing about music. If we could key up the chorus from that song, well, let's see if Dan can identify anything about it. Yeah, give me a second. Well, I don't like music. All right, so well, you're doing that. I'm going to ask Dan. I have a quick uh, – I'm really getting afraid, Dan, that the Broncos are going to reach for a quarterback and that they're going to make a poor decision. I don't mind bringing in a, a veteran to compete or to help mentor um, Locke, but – I don't want them to reach and bring in so we have two quarterbacks that we don't know if they're the future on, on the roster. What's your thought? No, I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with you, Terry. Uh, quarterback always has to be the priority. Problem is they just haven't played their hand very well, and you don't want to get desperate and make the wrong decision this year. And I, I happen to agree with you that there's only really two quarterbacks in the draft that are going to be difference makers that are, are franchise-type quarterbacks. That's my opinion. That's my evaluation. And I happen to be an expert, Terry. So you should listen well, to we, me. We've, I've heard that. Uh, t- Kyle, do you have that song ready? I have it ready now. Go ahead and play just the chorus. Just a teardrop in my eyes Each night I cry myself to sleep Just a memory of a love this Somehow is uh, Terry. This was your band now, back in Minnesota. This is Terry and the Rattlers. Uh, they played look, the local uh, the Moose Caboose in uh, Minnetonka in 1971. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're kind of kind of close, but not. That's a song that I'm working on. That's part of an album. In fact, Karen collaborated on some of the lyrics. That's going to be coming out on an EP on um, iTunes here within some time this year. It's got three other songs in it. But I just Are wanted you to kind me? of is this really your no. song? Yeah, I wrote I that. You. Karen helped collaborate on it, and that's just to bring you up to speed when we get into our musical arguments. That one of us may have a little more credibility. Okay, no, no, I want credit then. Because I called that right. I said it was you. I said that was Terry. <laughs> I, 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 I continue my run as trivia champion on the show continues because I identified the artist correctly. All right. We're going to let you go and do a show. I'll, let, I'll wrap champion. this up and you can talk Champion reigns. <laughs> How about that? All right. We're going to wrap this up. 
follow us every Saturday from 9 to 11 for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors right here on The Fan on Saturday mornings. Follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Go to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and expert sports with Dan Jacobs.